Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as we study God's Word together this morning. You know, as we come together, I often think of our goals in life, of what God has called us to really set our sights upon. And as I think about goals in life, especially spiritual goals, I think of this one specific goal that God has called us to be about. And that is the goal of conforming to the Lord Jesus Christ, to his image in our lives. All of us in this place, our spiritual goal should be that we conform to the image and to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes I think of the test, like how do I know I'm making progress in my Christian life? And churches I've served, they will tell you that over and over again I have the same refrain, and that is this, do you look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday? Because that's what God wants to do. It's not just about Bible knowledge. It's not just about just on a Sunday morning worship service. It is about how God uses those things to really conform us to his image. Because get this, none of us have fully arrived yet. None of us totally look like Christ. All of us have areas of our lives where we could grow. None of us have arrived. As a matter of fact, I want you to stop right now. I want you to look at the person right next to you, and I want you to say to them, you have not arrived. I didn't say tell the whole role. That Some of you take a little too much satisfaction, I think, in that, looking at that other person. Okay, now I want you to say, I have not arrived. Can you say that real quickly? None of us in this place have fully conformed to the image of Christ. But thank God we're on a journey. Thank God he is working within us. He is trying to process us. He is trying to work within us so that we look more like him. And as I have studied this letter to the Corinthians, as I've looked at it, I have come back and thought about how God wants to mature us. He wants to grow us into his image. And that's the reason in the next few weeks, I want to speak to you about maturing gracefully in Christ. When I first titled this sermon series and I told Andy, there was some concern that you would think I'm just speaking about growing in age, that we're just maturing. And it might, we are maturing in Christ. And we want to mature gracefully. So I want us to launch out this morning into 1 Corinthians and see how Paul begins to address the maturity level of the church at Corinth and how he speaks to them and encourages them as they grow in Christ. He begins in verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, 
eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Stop there for a moment. I want you to hear Paul and his words as he addresses this church. First, he reminds them that God is the one that's called him to be an apostle and to deliver this message. That's very important as you move through this letter. But he says, God has called me and allowed me to speak to you. And notice that the beginning of this letter is so familiar, it's so similar to other letters that Paul will write. Because in the very beginning of this letter, he issues a thanksgiving to the people, to the church. I love the way Paul does this. I mean, he sets them up, doesn't he? He's about to really get them for what's going on in their lives and how they're falling short. But first he says, I want to thank God for you. That's a good lesson for all of us, isn't it? If you got some bad news for somebody, it might be good to start with some good news, right? Get them prepared. He says, I am thankful for who you are. I'm thankful for you as a church. Really, I want you to get this this morning. I think what he says to them first is that you are blessed. I think that's what he's saying in these opening verses. He says, you are blessed. Notice he says that they are blessed with grace. He says you are blessed with grace. With grace. In verse 3, he used this greeting Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes the, the Greek greeting, he takes the Hebrew greeting of peace, and he brings them together and he says, Grace to you and peace from God. In verse 4, he says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. He says, You have been recipients of grace. Now, what is grace? The classic definition that you've probably heard preachers for years talk about is this definition of unmerited favor. Grace is unmerited favor. It means you did absolutely nothing to deserve it. But yet, what God did is he demonstrated favor to you, blessing to you, even though that you probably didn't deserve it. As a matter of fact, you didn't deserve it. But God demonstrated his grace, his favor upon your life. How many of us today could say we're absolutely recipients of grace? Because there are so many times we failed and there are so many times we didn't deserve things and yet God was good to us. You know, I was thinking about an illustration of grace and I'd been really um, struggling through it this week as I was thinking about illustrating this point. And it all, came, it all came together for me this morning as I sat on the first row and I noticed like John Corley walking down here. He was taking the offering. Some of you don't know John, but if you get to know him, you'll know what I'm talking about in this illustration. Think how gracious God has been to him. He didn't deserve anything in life, especially to marry the woman he married. <laughs> I was sitting there thinking about this. I know it was bad, but I was like, God, this is a moment. I'm thinking there is no way Susan should have married this man. I mean, he has no looks. He has no talents. He has none of that kind of stuff. He didn't deserve it at all. And yet, grace, unmerited favor, right? 
Again, some of you don't know him. It's okay. You'll be fine. But when you look at this, it is the unmerited favor of grace that God looked at you and he said, you know what? I love you and I'm going to demonstrate to you something that you don't even deserve in life. He says, you have become recipients of grace itself. Notice in verse 4, he said, which was given to you by Christ Jesus. In other words, God was the one that worked in your life and gave you what you so desperately needed. Think of salvation itself. Think of salvation itself. None of us in this place deserved eternal life. None of us did. I, I, I speak with people all of the time as, as I speak with children, as they await baptism. I always remind them that there was nothing that they could do in their own works in order to be saved. You can never be good enough. You can never be great enough. You can't. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And yet God the Father loved this world so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. The very expression of grace. Well, you've heard it stated before, grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, through Christ Jesus and the grace that he's demonstrated to us, we may enjoy life. But friends, grace doesn't just end at salvation. Grace continues through our lives. Every day, every day, he provides favor to me and to you that we do not deserve. Back in verse 2, he had said to those who were sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. The phrasing of that verse means that you have been set apart. And you've been set apart in the past, but yet there are continuing consequences in your life. In other words, God looked at you and he set you aside in his grace, in his mercy, and yet there are continuing consequences for your whole entire life. He set you aside. He wanted to work in you. He wanted to demonstrate grace in you. So here... Paul looks at this church and he says, you are blessed. And he first says, you are blessed with grace. May we just, may we just collectively say today, we are blessed with grace. Then he moves on. And notice in verse 5 and even in verse 7, he says that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. And verse 7 says, so that you come short in no gift he says you are blessed not only with grace but you are blessed with gifts with spiritual gifts that you lack nothing and really as you read across this letter you'll see how these individuals these believers had been gifted in so many different ways you could read chapters 12 through 14 and you'll see the giftedness of this church how they had lacked nothing in their spiritual gifts and how God had blessed them to serve and, and to work. He says, you've been blessed. You lack nothing in your giftedness. I'm always amazed how God takes 
individuals like us, just human individuals, and he works within their lives to gift them and to empower them for his service. And when you look across the church, you see so many different gifts that are exemplified. You find gifts of teaching, you find gifts of uh, singing, you find gifts of of mercy and hospitality. There are all kinds of gifts that you will find in the church. Now, again, that's part of God's grace because if you look at the word gift, it is the same idea as some people say a grace gift, that you were given it by the Holy Spirit. If you read later on in this letter, you'll see that the Holy Spirit is the one that gave you the gift that you have. And what Paul says is, I am thankful that you are gifted. I am thankful that you've received such blessing in your life. So notice this. He says, you are blessed with grace and you are blessed with gifts. But then he says, you are blessed with guarantees. Notice in verse 6 it said, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Notice he says, there is an assurance that you have. The testimony of Christ has worked in you and you have a guarantee in your life that you are a believer because of what he has done. It's a guarantee. It is an assurance. I think that assurance is the testimony of Christ that is confirmed within us, that is revealed within us through our walk and through our service and through our giftedness. Look, there are so many things in our culture today that is that we would find we would find uncertainty. I am thankful when it comes to our relationship with God, we can know that we can have confirmation and guarantees. Look, this is the most significant and eternal thing we will ever face, the relationship we have with God. And it is important and it is essential that we have assurance, confidence, confirmation, guarantee. I am thankful I can walk each day knowing that I am his child. I don't have to worry about continued doubt. Now, doubt will come. Things will happen in my life. But guess what? The confirmation of God will still be there and will remind me that I am his. Isn't that a blessing to know that you are his through all moments and through all times, a guarantee of the testimony. And then in verse 8 it says, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, God is going to give you, he, he has already given you a guarantee. He has confirmed you until the very day of Christ. The scripture in verse 7, says, waiting for the revelation, the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, you can be confirmed. You can have that guarantee. You can have that assurance. I needed Paul to speak those words to me today. I needed Paul to just kind of remind me and encourage me that he is going to keep me and his church until the coming of Christ. There are days when I turn on television that I see all the things going on in this world. I see all the tragedy. I see all the horror. 
I see all the hostility against the gospel of Christ. And I'll tell you there are days when I find myself discouraged. There are days when I begin to ask myself, what in the world, God, how are we going to get through some of these days? Hey, I'll be honest with you. I think there's a day coming in our nation now where we will have to make decisions over what we'll preach or what we'll say or we'll face the consequences. Never thought it would be coming. So there are all kinds of uncertainties. There are all kinds of things that I believe we're facing. But may I remind you, we have a guarantee that Jesus Christ will keep his church and his people and that his people will be victorious even to the coming of Christ. I'm so thankful for that. And here Paul says, you are a blessed church. Do not forget you are blessed. You have received grace. You have received gifts. You have received guarantees of your salvation and my continued work in your life. And then I love the way this section closes in verse 9. He says, God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. I think in some ways he says that you are blessed. Yes, through grace. Yes, through gifts. Yes, through guarantees. But ultimately and supremely, you are blessed with God. God himself. You you know, there's so many times I, I was talking... Uh, to the college students last Sunday night. Some of, you, some of you didn't even know I was gone, did you? You didn't know I was suffering for the Lord on the beach of Panama City. Didn't even pray for me. You didn't use it. Yeah, I know. Last Sunday night, I was speaking to the college students. And I just encouraged them in their relationship with God. I encouraged them to find their satisfaction and their contentment in God. Not all the other things, but in God. And I think we as a people need to be reminded of that. I am so thankful for all the blessings and all the benefits. Look, I will tell you every week that every good gift comes from Him. I believe that. And I am thankful for that. But I think what we should be most thankful for, not all the benefits, not all the blessings, we're just thankful for Him. And and yes, we enjoy the benefits and we enjoy the blessings, but how about we just gather around and just enjoy Him and the relationship we have with Him? Because God is faithful. God is enough to provide for us all that we need. John John chapter 6, the crowds followed Jesus so that they could get more bread. Remember, he had performed that great miracle. They wanted to come the next day. They thought he would give them more bread. And Jesus said, you know, you follow me not because you want to 
devote yourself to me, but because you want me to feed you. You want more bread. And then what does Jesus say? I am the bread which came down from heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, but he that eateth this bread shall live forever. And what, what Jesus says is, I want you to be satisfied with me. That's good enough, isn't it? Just be satisfied with me. And here, the blessing of the church is this. That we have a God. That we have a God who is faithful to us. A God who allows us to enter into a fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. One of the greatest blessings that we could ever imagine. To live in fellowship with Christ Jesus. Okay, so he says you are blessed. You got that? You're blessed. And then he moves on in the next few verses and note what he says. He says, you're blessed, but you must also be unified. He says, you're blessed in those first nine verses, but then in the next eight verses or so, he says, you must be unified. Verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Contentions in the church? Does that surprise anybody? This must have been, I've got to watch what I say now these days. A certain Baptist church there in Corinth says there are contentions among you. Paul says, I've heard about this. Now, Paul had given birth to this church. He had founded this church. If you look at Acts, back in the book of Acts, you'll see that he was the one who birthed this church. And now he's hearing about it and he says, I hear that there are divisions and there are contentions and there are schisms within you. He says, I'm hearing that. You know, unfortunately, in our churches today, there are moments that contention and divisions can really consume us and move us away from the purpose God's called us to. Now, I am thankful for the unity that I experience here at Temple Baptist Church. Aren't you? I'm thankful for the spirit that we have and the unity. Some would say, well, now, Dr. Reggie, I don't understand why you're doing this. Is there something going on we don't know about? I've always felt like it's a great thing to address these issues in the good moments of the church's life to protect the unity of the church. It is so easy for us to allow other things to somehow capture our minds and our hearts. Some years before I got to Pine Grove Baptist Church in Picayune, some years before I got there, there was a church quarrel. There was a church division. And literally, there was a group of individuals that left Pine Grove Baptist Church and started another church just down 
the street. They called themselves Unity Baptist Church. I kid you not. Just down the street. Now, there were good people, wonderful people. Some of them were. I knew them. Many of them had come back to Pine Grove, even in the days that I was there. It was good people, but... That's the way we think sometimes. Here we are. We're going to start something else. We're leaving in division, but we're going to call it unity. So many things. Notice here that these contentions are arising, verse 12, verse 12 because of personality. He says, Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or I'm of Christ. Notice verse 12 says that they are somehow dividing themselves along the lines of personality. Now, these are not bad people, and I do not even believe that the, quote, leaders here are in fact, well, are in fact leaders. I don't think that Paul, nor Cephas, nor Apollos, I don't believe that they're trying to lead any type of contention. But what's happening is these factions are forming and they're trying to identify with each one. Perhaps they're saying, well, this one teaches that and this one teaches this. And and, and you find these contentions that arise. And again, we've seen it in our churches. Now, I, again, am very blessed because I've not seen a major division in any church that I've been a part of, and it's not going to start now. Now, I've seen issues, and it is amazing what people get emotional about, isn't it? Maybe it's the cemetery fund. It's getting a little too large. We need to do something with the cemetery fund. We don't have a cemetery, by the way, here, but I'm just saying a cemetery fund. Or how about the days when we were thinking about remodeling the sanctuary? Do you know how many suggestions and letters I got concerning the color that we would paint the sanctuary? My friends, those things, they pale in comparison to the purpose, to the charge God has called us to. God has called us to something so much loftier, so much more grand. He calls us to unite in the person, in the person of Jesus Christ. Notice here, they're uniting around all these different ones. And there is a group who says, hey, I'm with Christ. I think that's that group that claims to be more spiritual than other people. We'll get to that because I think there is that aspect of those who believe themselves to be spiritual while maybe not being here in this book. But there are those who are uniting around people. And what we are to unite around is the person and the lordship of Christ. Verse 10, he had said, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The name was synonymous with the person. Here he says, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to unite around him. Because verse 13 says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. 
We're not devoted to individual leaders. No church should ever gather around just a human individual. I don't care if it's a pastor or it's a deacon or it's a Sunday school teacher. We should always be lifting up high the name of Jesus Christ. For he is the one that is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Paul asked these rhetorical questions. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, obviously the answer to that is absolutely not. Christ is not divided. Paul is not crucified for us. We were not baptized into the name of Paul. It is Christ. It is the person of Christ that should draw us together. And I can't believe Paul said this, but note verse 14. He said, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. I've never heard a Baptist preacher say that in all my life. I'm thankful I didn't baptize any one of you, he says. Why is that? Verse 15, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Because Paul was more concerned about glorifying Christ than receiving credit for his own ministry, his own life. And somehow God challenges us to be more concerned about the glory of Christ and the person of Christ than even our own ambitions. It is through Jesus Christ. Well, when you have the same mind and the same judgment as you see in verse 10, the mind of Christ, often used as a, an image to promote unity. Remember when Paul writes to the Philippian church, they will be going through moments of disunity as well. And what does he say? He asked them to allow the mind of Christ to dwell in them in Philippians chapter 2. That's what he asked them to do. Focus on the person of Christ. And look, whether you're in a marriage or you're in a church, any type of relationship, have you ever noticed this? That when Christ is the person that we're focused upon, let's say in marriage, husband, wife, when they are focused upon Christ, when they are moving toward him, note that they are also moving toward each other. Right? Did I lose some of you right there? Let me do it this side so that you can see what I'm talking about. <laughs> Here you are as believers. Here I am. Here you are. We are focusing upon the person of Christ. And as we focus upon the person of Christ, we come closer together as we move toward him. God wants us to be united in the person of Christ. And when we're united in the purpose or the person of Christ, we become united also in the purpose that he's given us. The purpose... Well, in verse 17, he said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, friends, he was not minimizing baptism. He wasn't saying baptism 
wasn't important. He wasn't saying anything like that. All he's trying to say is, is that his primary goal is to make known the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ. He had been called to preach. And when you focus on the person and you submit yourself to his lordship, you recognize that the purpose that you have is one and the same. As a matter of fact, in verse 10, it says that you would speak the same thing. Here we are with all our diversity. We'll look at it when we get over to chapter 12 or so in more detail. But let me just say to you, here we are in all of our diversity. All of us are different. All of us speak differently. Some of us are blessed with a Mississippi accent. All of us have our own uniqueness. But even in that, we should share the purpose of speaking the same thing, the gospel of Christ. And when you are united in purpose, you become united in proclamation. Notice what he says. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. What is our proclamation? What brings us together? We are brought together, united in the person and the purpose of Christ. And we're united in the proclamation of Christ. That we speak with one voice. That there is only one way. That there is only one name under heaven whereby men may be saved. And it's the name of Christ. May we speak the words and may we say all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us stand condemned before him. But thanks be to God, the good news of Jesus Christ is that he loved us so much that he came and he died on the cross for us and he took the sacrifice for us. Oh, but he was risen that third day so that he might demonstrate power over death, hell, and the grave. May that be our proclamation. And may we not only proclaim it for salvation, but may we proclaim it to individuals and apply the gospel to marriages and to parenting and to church membership and to everyday activities in our lives because the gospel affects every part of our being. That should be our proclamation. We should be united consistently and constantly in him so listen he says you're blessed and maybe this day as you recognize that blessing it's a moment where you join paul and you say god thank you for that blessing but i hope somewhere along the way god would use that blessing to challenge you also to be unified together as a people, as a called-out group of individuals. May this day we pray that God would continue to protect the unity of his body so that we might exalt him, proclaim him to our community and to the nations themselves. May we be obedient in the way we serve him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day.
And God, thank you for the immense blessing you have given us. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the gifts. Thank you for the guarantees. God, mostly, just thank you. We thank you for you and who you are. Now, God, we pray that you would challenge us this morning to an even greater sense of unity in you. Continue to hold us together. Help us to continue to proclaim you to others. Challenge us now in this place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Would you allow God to speak to you today and come as we have this moment of invitation?